Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Folks, this is the first episode of 2020. Happy New Year. I know I sound a little depressed. Uh, it's not really a happy new year for Australia, as you know, or if you don't, if you are living underneath a rock, Australia is just on fire. It's engulfed in flames. As I record this episode, over 12 and a half million acres have burned 24,000 square miles, over half a billion animals, mammals, birds, reptiles have completely perished. And so we had to cover this topic. So I enlisted the help of my really good friend, Brandon, from the Australia Reptile Park. Brandon is a born and raised Australian. He is passionate about wildlife and he literally goes over Australia. He's obviously there right now. What's going on? And he goes over ways on how you can help. You know, a lot of you have reached out to me on my social channels, uh, you know, on Instagram or Facebook and saying like, how can I help? Because it is so overwhelming because, you know, when you're here in the States, the news, you see the media, you see these charcoal kangaroos and, uh, you know, koalas and you're like, what can I do? And then you Google it and it's like, here's a million different organizations to donate to. So Brandon really breaks it down. He shares some of the organizations where you can donate and I'm going to include the links in the show notes just to make it really, really easy. I want to say personally, I, you know, just thoughts, my prayers, I mean, just I just we're thinking about you. I am thinking about you, Australia, just all the people and wildlife that's been affected by these horrific fires. I just I can't even imagine. It's hard to even wrap my mind around it. It seems like this awful movie or this like bad nightmare that you just you just like want to turn off or just close off. And it's it's crazy that it is a reality. But I do want to say I don't want you to like go into this episode being like, oh man, this is going to be so depressing or, oh man, I'm just going to skip this over because this is just not what I want to listen to. It's not uplifting. Trust me. In the end, you're going to know that there still is hope for Australia's wildlife. There are ways to help. People are fighting this. There's passionate people like Brandon out there trying to bring awareness, trying to educate people. So once again, that's why I'm having him on the show. So just want to give a big shout out to Brandon and also Zookeeper Dan from the Australian Reptile Park just for taking the time to come on the show. I'm going to be 100% honest. It is almost two o'clock in the morning. I'm recording this intro. I just finished the interview with Brandon, but it was a nightmare uh, trying to record this interview because my Skype completely shut down and my call recorder stopped working. So it took like, anyway, it, it took, uh, I think like a half an hour to try to figure out how to record Brandon. And we ended up just, I literally just called them on face on Facebook on their video chat and just held the phone up to my microphone just to record his audio, which I think it actually turned out pretty good by Yeti Mike picked it up, but I just want you to know that's why it might sound a little different than some past interviews, but you still should be able to hear Brandon clearly. Just want to give that forewarning, but there's great information in here, and I really encourage you to listen to the episode all the way through. And once again, please make sure to check out the show notes on ways and how you can help Australia, the wildlife, and the amazing people that call Australia home. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoy my interview with Brandon from the Australian Reptile Park. And all right, Brandon, welcome back to the show, man. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, mate, it is good to be back. I've missed you. I, I missed you too. And I'll tell you what, I wish we were talking on better like terms. You know what I mean? Oh, 100% far out. Australia is not in a good state at the moment. Uh, very different to when we last spoke. This time last year, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. So tell me what's... Let's just cut to the chase. Tell me what's going on, because a lot of my listeners here in the States are just confused, and they're like, how can I help? And they don't understand the fires going on in Australia. 100%, mate. Well, yeah, obviously, it, it's taken a while to dominate world headlines, which is something that is surprising in one sense, and then it's not in the other, because I think people have become very accustomed to Australia's natural disasters. We're the land of extremes it is really hot one second it's snowing in the other part of the country while you've got the the hottest temperatures recorded like it's just ridiculous australia has always been the land of extremes and along with it our weather is um consistently changing and you can never sort of 
I guess, predict long-term what's going to happen. Now, the fires are something that have been forecast. This is one natural disaster we did see coming, and they actually thought it was going to come last year, not this year. Uh, the fire department was ready for it. They were they were talking with the government about what we could be expecting. And the reason being is we have had the biggest drought ever recorded in Australian history. Like, it has just been a absolute monolith of a drought. It has been hot. It has been dry. And to describe what is happening to people that live on the land is just heartbreaking. It literally reduces you to tears to see uh, what's going on out west. A lot of farmers have claimed their own lives because of the drought. That's their whole life. They've grown up generations upon generations and now uh, they can't survive on the land anymore. So that has taken a toll on the landscape. Obviously, when everything's dry, there's no water, and it's been going on for so long that now all of our forests have built up with this really dry grassland, nothing's got water, and suddenly any sort of spot fire that goes into there is taken off, and far out it has. Like these fires, we do get fires, um, and I've seen some pretty traumatic ones uh, growing up, like you're always aware of what's going on in the country and, uh, and know people that have been through them. Um, but this is by far the worst. Nothing comes close. This is something uh, on its own, and everyone would agree that they've never seen anything like this and the way that it's happening, and it's because there's so many of them going for so long at one time. Now, to put into perspective, I'd imagine all the American audiences, uh, viewers or listeners would be familiar with, obviously, what happened over in the Amazon, and, and a lot of people are using it as an example um, that there was like, I can't remember, there was 500,000 hectares burned there, but there was obviously a lot of important forest burnt in the Amazon, and everyone obviously um, adores that place. But in Australia, when these fires started up, it started to burn hundreds of thousands of hectares and we were starting to freak out and panic, thinking far out, that's a lot of wildlife in those areas and a lot of people's houses and a lot of livelihoods at stake. And it kept growing and growing and growing. And now we're at the point where we've lost 12.5 million hectares of land in Australia. It's literally gone through the roof. And to put it into perspective, you can't. There's nothing that compares to the bushfire we've seen. And it's... When it's burning gum trees, the flames are 12.5, I think are 12 metres in the air, or if not higher, probably up to um, 15 metres. They're these massive flames and the fireys are literally looking up at this wall of fire coming towards them and they, they just can't stop it. Um, so it has torn through most of the country. It's gone through uh, New South Wales predominantly in the early stages and still going through. Uh, and then uh, Queensland saw a big impact. Uh, there was fires in Western Australia. But now, more recently, Victoria and, uh, and South Australia have had a really big hit. Now, the areas that it's gone through, as far as wildlife, like I'm completely obsessed with my wildlife. That's what I work for, uh, just like you every single day. As far as the wildlife is concerned, it has taken a big hit. Like, it is huge. Uh, our wildlife in Australia is already copying a flogging. Um, like as far as uh, in as far as our threatened species go, we've got a lot of threatened species. Australia is um, is no, uh, I guess, is it, it's got some of the most threatened species on the face of the earth, and we actually have so many feral animals contributing to it, and we have uh, we've cleared so much land in the past for agriculture. We've added so many pressures, like uh, feral cats kill seventy five million animals in Australia every mm. single day. That's mm. that's just feral. So we've got the worst mammalian extinction rate in the world. And now it's been reported that because of these fires, uh, we originally thought we lost just like we lost 350 koalas was a rough estimate in, uh, in, in just one pocket in New South Wales. And that was devastating. But now uh, they're saying we've lost about half a billion uh, animals. And so those estimates are hard to do. And, and we were actually wondering how do you get such a solid estimate? It's actually the r real estimate is about... 480 million animals that have been killed. Um, and that's actually going off a study that the University of Sydney did back in 2007. Uh, they were looking at land clearing in Australia. So they've sort of guesstimated from that how many animals they think have perished. Now, the koala in Australia is obviously our most iconic species and, um, and they're probably one of the hardest hit, but there's so many others that are going to have such a bad impact from this. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real crisis and we, we need the world to know about it for sure. Yeah, and Brandon, let's just go back because, I mean, we, we do have a lot of listeners in the States 
the 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 first reaction a lot of people are like who started the fires like did someone i mean you know and that's that's a common question because a lot of us are ignorant to it so can we just talk about that does this happen every year where you have these bush fires oh 100 that's part and that's another thing that i should clarify is that something i think it's unique to australia I'm, i think i'm right in saying this that um Australia actually does need fires. As a part of the landscape, it needs fires, and they consistently go through every every year in summer. You'll have fires, not necessarily huge bushfires, but there will be fires to some extent, and that's a part of the landscape. Um, like there's plants in Australia, there's certain uh, species, uh, especially coastal species, that will not re-germinate unless uh, they get burnt. Like everyone knows that if you have a grass tree in Australia, we've got these huge big grass trees, and if you don't burn it. And it's not going to produce seeds, so that it is a natural part of the landscape. But as far as bushfires, uh, there's many causes, and uh, and so the ones we're seeing for this particular fire has been like big storms. Like we've got a storm at the moment, which is awesome that we're finally getting some rain outside. Um, so that's here in the background. But there's um, there's lightning strikes. That's a very common factor. In fact, um, where I grew up in the north coast of New South Wales. Uh, there's a little town called Ratville, and that's where my brother-in-law's family lived. All of my mates, a lot of my family lived there, and they had a fire go straight through and literally take out the entire town. Everything mm. was gone, um, and it just flattened the place, and so were all the, were, were all the animals around it. Uh, that was started by a lightning strike. But then there was a fire about, what, maybe fifth, oh, no, probably 20 kilometres up the road from that, and that was a separate bushfire that covered a whole other area of land, and it was actually deliberately lit. So we get a lot of arsons. We get a lot of people out there um, starting fires on purpose just to wreak havoc. Or um, we get those people that are literally just completely oblivious to the conditions and they're backburning, uh, backburning Australia, just going through trying to actually gently cool burn, we call it, uh, go through and burn certain areas uh, that are building up. Um, with rubbish and debris and stuff and so potentially could ignite a really big fire. So they go through and try and control that burn so that it stops future big fires. But sometimes they do them in the wrong conditions and they take off and create a massive fire, uh, which has happened quite a lot. And then people ignoring fire bans. We have fire bans all the time and they say, no one's still out of fire. And, you know, we had a catastrophic um, warning saying that the, on this particular day back in September, I was, I was out at Uluru when this happened, but uh, in New South Wales, they said, look, no one is to light a fire whatsoever. They caught three people the first morning mm. of that being um, lighting fires. So this stuff gets out of control very quickly. It takes one ember to go off into the bush, and then it, it starts it all up. Okay. And, and like I said, please apologize my ignorance, but I'm just coming from a state of, like, people, you know, here, you know, wondering where these fires are happening. So let's just talk about Australia. Where are the fires happening? Yes, okay, so if you're looking at the map of Australia, um, if you're familiar with Queensland, there has been some fires in southeast Queensland, particularly where I used to live in, on the Sunshine Coast. Um, there's some good bush around there that actually went up, and it's gone up not just once. There's one patch uh, at per, per, Perigean Springs. It's gone up three separate occasions in the last uh, so, few months. So is, is this like, so this is a southeastern area of Australia? Oh, sorry, that's up in northern Australia. And then as you move okay. down the coast map on the eastern side of Australia is where the heaviest fires have been. So through Queensland, that um, that high state where Australia Zoo is, that's where those massive fires have been on the sunny coast. And then moving down New South Wales, there's been fires the entire way along, all the way down into the southern state of Victoria and across the southern uh, stretch of the country moving west. And then over in western Australia, the very the most westerly point of Australia, there's been fires over there. And then even little islands off of Australia, there's a place called Kangaroo Island, mm. which is phenomenal for wildlife. It's got the most amazing kangaroos, like Kangaroo Island kangaroos. They've got uh, an estimated 50,000 koalas there. Uh, a third of it just burnt uh, oh. about three days ago, days ago, a third of it. So that means that they reckon 25,000 koalas went with it. Yeah, oh, so, my God. Uh, very broad range of Australian uh, along the east coast and the southern coast has been really badly impacted. All the all the bushland, yeah. And then, Brandon, where are you? Are you safe? Yeah, we're safe. Well, 
where we are is um, down towards – we're just an hour north of Sydney, if that helps. So an hour north of Sydney, we've still got bush all around here. And where I work at the Australian Reptile Park, we actually had a concern where we had a big mountain of fire coming towards us. And, uh, and so for a while there, we were all on high alert. We were doing overtime. We are at work hosing everything down, getting ready, and we are ready for spot fires. Uh, we wouldn't have got the full fire front, but if a spot fire started in our area, then it would have taken off very quick. Um, but fortunately, that's actually that sort of threat level has reduced for now. It could come back, but right now we're, we're not worried at all. But, yeah, it got very real very quick for a second there. But, yeah, we're all safe now. So just coming from some articles, they're saying that the skies are blood red, the smoke from Australia is visible from space, up to 24 dead, 2,000 homes destroyed. You said well over, what, 12.5 million acres are just completely burned. Yep, yep, 12.5 million hectares. And uh, and then, yeah, 480 million animals estimated as well. The the air quality changes considerably. Like the, when, that, when we had that fire locally, um, our air quality went, like it was to the point where when I was driving to work in the morning, I had my lights on in the car and you just had ash falling on your windscreen and uh, it was hard to see. It was like going through a real thick, low cloud. Um, so, yeah, and in Canberra, they just recorded the other day, I think it was yesterday, it was the most um, polluted, toxic air anywhere in the world at that point. Oh, my God. Yeah, because the fog. They're saying that New Zealand, <laughs> not even Australia, the glaciers have ash on them. Oh, my so, God. And New so Zealand is, is New Zealand like a thousand miles away? Is that correct? Oh, it, I can't remember, but yeah, it would be something like that. It's a, yeah, it's a fair way away. It's a long flight. Wow. Okay. So what do you, so Brandon, so you work at the Australia, you know, Australian reptile park. How do you prepare for fires? Because for instance, we had a fire here back in 2015 in Idaho we, you know, we, we, we have fires as well. Nothing like this, but we were at a point where we were going to have to evacuate our animals. And it was like, holy crap, like, how are we going to move a 10 and a half foot alligator? I mean, it, it, it was just crazy. So what plans are in place at the park when you are facing these fires? 100%. Well, they're actually, well, I guess you could imagine because we do experience stuff like this a bit in Australia, uh, they've got some good plans in place. They've always, like whenever you start, you, you get a manual talking about your fire plans and things like that. So they've had them in place for a long time. But, yeah, we had quick, we'll, we'll, we'll move very quick having extra meetings. Every single morning you went into work, you had meetings about what we are going to do that day, what needed to happen, what animals were the highest risk um, and what needed to get out first. Um, because where we are, the whole place wouldn't just go. It would be spot fires, and then that could start another spot fire and things like that. So we we had target animals where we knew they were in this unsafest spot, so they needed to go, like our dingoes, for example. Uh, we got them moved out for a couple of weeks just to make sure that they weren't at risk ever. And then there was a lot of things we could actually take to a certain area of the park, and they would be deemed safe because uh, they weren't in any bush or around anything. They were in an area we could protect. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was going to be a full-scale evacuation but then we were definitely going to have to evacuate certain things um and and yeah we were confident we could protect the building but yeah we all got given roles like um we were we were all out hosing everything down and everything in preparation for it but once the spot fires were going to start then we were all going to go into our individual roles and, and look after certain areas um but thankfully yeah it never got to that but yeah we're just hoping that doesn't flare back but yeah it, it, it is like they're they have got a lot of plans. I actually went through a bushfire up at Australia Zoo as well where someone had deliberately lit a fire right next door and it came very close to taking on the zoo. Like, it, it, it's, it was a lot closer. It was um, a very scary day because suddenly there was just smoke everywhere. Uh, we had to evacuate half the zoo. Uh, oh, like, sorry, shut down half the zoo. And uh, we were literally, that was actual uh, a time where we had to move animals very fast out of areas. And... Um, but the fireys managed to keep it at bay and they stopped it, so it didn't get in there. Probably the craziest um, one I've seen so far has been Mogo Zoo down south. Um, Mogo Zoo has a lot of your larger African species. It's like an open plain zoo that you go visit. Mm. And uh, it's got smaller species as well, but they had the bushfires come literally to their park and they had 15 people, no firefighters, just zookeepers, 
to defend it, and they just had to do it all night, all morning. Um, they went they went absolutely crazy. They are just phenomenal. They're just the most amazing team from what we could see. Um, they're led by a bloke called Zookeeper Chad, and he yeah he actually took the red pandas and monkeys home to his house overnight when those fires hit. Oh my gosh! Hit. Yeah, that's so. Yeah. That's so dedicated, and I, yeah, I just, uh, my heart just goes out to all of them, and Brandon, when did this start becoming, when did this fire start becoming scary, because you have bushfires every year, when was it like, wait a second, like, this is not stopping, like, when did it, I mean, was, was, was there a point that you remember? Yeah, well, like it, it definitely become a, a bit of a shock straight away because, and I think the reason being was because it was it hit home. It wasn't it wasn't somewhere else in the country. The first place it hit was up at my place. Um, so that become a shock to me. But it, it it didn't seem like a fire season to me. I just sort of thought of it as a one off event. Um, and then it started to progress. So that's back in September. And then it just continued through September that you'd hear another place had a massive bushfire and then another place started up and then fires were joining and then it would progress through November, December. December is when it become like, okay, this is phenomenal, like we've never seen anything like it. And that's when the country sort of become really, really like uptight about the fire. Like everything changed very quickly, the way people were treating it, the way everyone would talk about it. Everyone was getting very fearful for what's going on. And now, like... Like New Year's Eve, that instead of people celebrating New Year's Eve down south at Naruma, like I was literally just down at Naruma for my birthday in August, swimming with the seals down there, and it's a beautiful spot, um, and it's a tourist destination. They were all there was literally thousands of people on the beach because they had nowhere to go. They couldn't stay in the town because it was mm. like looking like a light on fire. So there was just thousands upon thousands of people crammed onto one little beach with nowhere to go, and they ended up sending in the Navy to ship them out. They had to get the Navy vessels to come in and evacuate all these people, and it took them a couple of days to get them all off. So it became like a war zone. So the stuff we're seeing right now is beyond crazy. It's stuff we've never seen before. It becomes serious probably, yeah, end of November, start of December when you've thought about it a lot more, but it's been ongoing for months. Yeah, I... And- Brandon, I mean, just, and this is just so sad. I mean, I just, I feel so helpless over here in the States. And I feel like that's how, I mean, a lot of people feel helpless and you see these inner, excuse me, you see these photos on social media. Have you seen the one of that kangaroo just like on the barbed wire? I mean, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. How can people help? That literally like that photo. My God. Is, hey, it's the most horrific thing I've ever seen. Um, and we keep seeing photos of it. That was frustrating for me. I guess we do need to see it. But, yeah, at the moment, it, it's so, like, when that's what you love and all you care about and you go on and you just see charred photos of these animals, it's just absolutely horrific. Um, so it's been rough. Uh, and it's incomprehensible. It sort of distances you in a way because you, you start to think, like, there's so much. There's just so much of it going on that... It's hard to even fathom that it's real. But, um, yeah, so as far as, like, help goes for Australia at the moment, the biggest thing that they're needing is just donations. Like, they, they, they've even said to us, because um, a lot of people like to send clothes and food and everything you possibly can, as you can imagine, like you do anywhere in the world. But right now they're just after um, financial donations and people have been getting on board, like, um, Pink just donated five hundred thousand dollars. Nicole and Ki- Nicole Kidman, Keith Urban, they gave five hundred thousand. Russell Crowe's given heaps of money. So a mm. lot of um, celebrities are, and one comedian Australia just raised twenty million. Wow. Um, but it's it's still in the big scheme of things, they need a lot more. So we've been going online and and going into a lot of like the GoFundMe sites and things like that. But then that can be. Um, challenging to know which ones are real and which ones aren't the best things that people can do if they do want to help um is uh, there are a few different services you can look at like the new south wales rural fire service that's a really good one the queensland fire and rescue service um the south australia country fire service victoria country fire authority um so the different fire services but as far as um as far as other places that can help, the Salvation Army is really good. Um, Vinnie's is one called St Vincent's de Paul. It's a charity. And then for wildlife, we really have been encouraging people to do, to donate to um, 
well, why is in Australia? Why is this something Americans might not have heard of? But it's a very important organisation that deals with wildlife di- directly on the ground, and they're just getting inundated with calls. They got twenty thousand phone calls for um, burnt victims in December alone. Mm. Um, so far as animals go so they're just getting um absolutely inundated with wildlife and so yeah wise is a really top-notch one to donate to if you can um look up that but the other ones are are all the ones that people might Mm. know about like when you come to australia australia zoo wildlife warriors that's a really good um organization but my one um that i work at at the moment is phenomenal they're doing a lot of work um with species that are actually directly impacted in these fires like um, as the Australian Reptile Park has its own um, organisation called Ozark, and Ozark originally was set up to save Tasmanian devils because of the devil facial tumour disease. 95% of them were wiped out um, in the 90s, the late 90s, and uh, and now that threat's uh, it's still there, but it's not to the point that they're going extinct. So we we've got a backup population now to ensure that they never do uh, is the hope. But we've started to focus on other species and other species, including the brush-tailed rock wallaby, which literally these fires just went straight through their range and mm. uh, and what what is almost a species on the edge of extinction. So we're worried about them. But yeah, Aussie Ark is definitely a really phenomenal one. And as a result of these fires, because there's so many koalas impacted by this. We've got Aussie Ark, we've got Devil Ark. Now we've just started Koala Ark to try and focus in on koalas as well because they are in a heck of a lot of strife. Well, will you do me a favor and send me, maybe like yeah. send me a few links I could put on the show notes so someone listening, because a lot of people are listening like in their cars, they could just go when maybe they're at the office or when they park, where they can just go and you know donate to help. Will you do that for me? A hundred percent. I'll send them straight through. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. Great. Go yeah. ahead. That's, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about, just about the wildlife. I know koalas have really received the spotlight. People are fearing that koalas are just going extinct, you know, functionally extinct. And the fires just uh, obviously aren't helping. Can we talk a little bit about that? 100%. Yeah, so, like, koalas have been a, a talking point in Australia for quite a while, uh, in recent years, I guess. Uh, but because of um of all the factors uh, impacting upon them so that's before the fires koalas were in a lot of trouble before fires um and historically they always have been because um as soon as european settlers come to australia uh they they started to look at koalas as something as a, a bit of a game animal they could hunt and it was in the late 1800s that they actually started to make an income from koalas they would shoot them mm. and so it's export pelts to the United Kingdom and then later they actually used to export koala pelts to the US you probably already know so um, in the 19 like in, up until 1930 you could go out and shoot koalas and, and sell their fur so that almost sent them extinct and the reason being is that the government started to encourage farmers to hunt koalas because they weren't getting an income from their livestock their livestock mm. were getting impacted the feral animals they introduced. So, um, so koalas literally in six months in Queensland there was one million shot and um, oh and eight God. million. Over- they almost become extinct, and it was actually an American who saved them, um, Herbert Hooper, <laughs> the president. He came to Australia um, and he he met a koala. He actually got to meet a live koala, and he fell in love with them. And he went back, and because he had such a passion for them after meeting them, he actually it's a from what I've learned, that um, yeah, he he actually stopped, started um, putting the, 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 I guess the legislation in place to stop importing koalas pelts. I did not and then, know that. Sorry, I, I I did not know that. No, it's amazing, isn't it? So yeah, well, I've been told that, and um, I think I I've read it somewhere as well. But yeah, it's a it's a story that a lot of zookeepers like to tell Americans because um, it's crazy to think that they actually saved the animal in our country uh, because when they stopped, then the UK stopped and it suddenly become a very unpopular thing to kill koalas. And so that literally saved them. But then um, they're actually thinking that they picked up on something in the early 2000s that koalas have retrovirus. Now, co- retrovirus in koalas is what we call koala AIDS. And it is in 100% of the population. And they picked that up 
there was actually a guy that used to work at the Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital called Dr. John Hanger. He did the research and he discovered it. And um, they actually think that retrovirus come from up in Southeast Asia from the rodents or the bats because they actually uh, historically ca- carry it as well. Mm. And so retrovirus present in all the animals. Um, but I liken it, I found, used to find it when I was touring, I used to tour people around our hospital um, showing them the koalas and I tried to figure out how to describe retrovirus and the best way I could describe it is it, it's like a mental illness in the way that it can just sit dormant and then something, and we don't always know what, whether it's a, sometimes it's immune, an immune, a low immune system or things like that, but it can trigger it. And once it's triggered, then it can have all sorts of impact. They can get uh, lymphoma, leukemia, um, and then of course they can get chlamydia, very susceptible to chlamydia. And chlamydia is something that's been ripping through the population in Australia. So um, it's gone through southeast Queensland uh, very badly. And then in New South Wales, there's literally only two pockets, uh, one in western Sydney and one in the Blue Mountains to Sydney's west. It's beautiful big mountain ranges. There's these two pockets of koalas that don't have chlamydia. And then, um, and then all the way through the Victorian and South Australian populations as well. So you'll find koalas in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, and that's it. And uh, so along the east coast in those beautiful eucalyptus forests. And, yeah, it ripped through all of them. And, and the reason being is that not only do we now have koalas um, sort of in a lower population than they used to be, but they're also isolated because nowadays we've got a lot of, uh, like anywhere in the world with any species, there's a lot of houses and roads and things like that. So now we've got isolated populations. So all it takes is one infected koala to move into an area and then they all get affected very quickly because they are so isolated. So we've seen that occur and the only place that actually, other than on the, those two on the mainland, that doesn't have chlamydia um, is Kangaroo Island and those koalas I was just talking about. There's an overpopulation of them on that island because there's too many for the small place that it is. They bred very quickly there. But there's 50,000 and now we're thinking 25,000 and none of them have chlamydia. So one of the problems they're facing with these burn victims is that they can't take them to the mainland to treat because they don't have chlamydia. They can't risk them ever getting chlamydia. So if they were to take them to treat on the mainland, they can't ever send them back. Um, so they've got to treat them in Kangaroo Island. So it's, it's a very tough challenge at the moment. So the chlamydia took through. Now, what chlamydia does to a koala is it, um, it impacts on their eyesight uh, potentially so they can get conjunctivitis and then it, it can impact on their uh, urinary reproductive tract so um, it can affect the bladder in females the ovaries um, they can get cysts on their ovaries which will can't send them completely sterile they can no longer breed and obviously that's a massive impact mm-hmm. um, so are facing that and then on top of that i talked about we've got a lot of feral animals they get attacked by dogs uh, they get hit by cars and um, it, it's just crazy like my three oh well i was at the zoo for a few years there um but the three years where i was working the role of going over the hospital and taking people on tours through to see what impacts we have on koalas we're getting 75 to 80 koalas a month in Mm. just one area three wildlife hospitals in that southeast queensland area that specialize in koalas and just actually something before i do forget it corbin i should point out with these fires and koalas I saw a status just before I come on here and it was saying about Crumb and Wildlife Sanctuary. Um, that's where I first volunteered. They, their wildlife hospital there, this time last year, they had 27 koalas go through there. Um, and now, this year, they've had 600. Wow. That was 2019, 600. Yeah. So it's absolute crazy what's going on there. Um, but, yeah, so koalas... They're, they're facing a lot of challenges already. And then now this fire's just come through and obliterated them uh, in very many areas. So down south where we were all wor- we were already worried about the population because it's actually halved in the last 10 years in southeast Queensland, Queensland, the population halved. And 40% has been lost in the last 10 years in New South Wales, I believe. Um, so then um, this fire's come through and literally... Um, taking out 350 individual koalas they can only estimate in one patch, let alone the rest of the state. There, It's in the thousands, and we may never know how many koalas have been lost. Oh, man. Um, okay, so let's just, we're going to kind of switch gears really quick. 
Uh, let's yeah. just talk just because a lot of this and a lot of outlets are reporting and we just have to talk about climate change. Yes. Because yeah. that's, I mean, we can't, we can't not mention that. So I know it is controversial, but uh, you know, you know, human caused climate change. And they're saying that, that, you know, that's kind of bumping up the heat in Australia. Can you touch on that a little bit? hundred percent. Well, like, you know, it's funny because so many people, yeah, it is a controversial topic, particularly in Australia. It's a very controversial one in Australia. But I think a lot of people are starting to get to that point where it's hard to deny. And it's and it's hard to one like to say, well, how couldn't we cause an effect with the stuff that we've done? Like for, for very many years, our Earth hasn't had the amount of, um, I guess, fossil fuels going into the atmosphere. And I read something that there's about 400,000 hydrogen bombs of heat going into the atmosphere every single day at the moment. Mm. Which And Dr. Carl, um, he's a famous scientist in Australia, really, really up there. He's brilliant. He just got uh, an award, David Attenborough, and he just got uh, this year. Uh, sorry, last year. Um, he, he's very knowledgeable. He says that. So the amount of heat that we're producing, the changes we've made, uh, the constant lean clearing, like we've lost a lot of trees, and it sounds ridiculous, but once you lose a lot of trees, you start to have effects in, in that regard as well. So there is definitely a change in climate, and places are starting to see it. You only have to watch a Davy doco to start to realise the, um, the real severity that's going on. Uh, so it is hard to deny. Um, so, yeah, like that for Australia is going to mean that in the future these, these droughts get longer and harder and drier, and then the fires get bigger and badder i guess so um we're starting to see that and obviously one big thing that i guess americans and everyone should think of when they think of australia is just off the east coast up north is that great barrier reef so as we start to see a changing climate we're seeing a changing reef and we're seeing a lot of coral bleaching now that we never saw before um the like people don't really think about in australia what a change in a degree of sea temperature could do and um and and just a warmer reef is just killing corals that cannot survive in those sort of temperatures and then obviously species move out and we see a whole change in in the setup but something we even learned back in geography in high school very basic stuff was like like my whole family's in agriculture so it's a funny it's a funny balance there but um but as far as agriculture is concerned, there's a lot of runoff that goes into the ocean and up in Queensland, that runoff goes straight into the reef. And so there's a higher nutrient content going into that water and higher sedimentation. And so that in its own right is going to cause massive effects for that, for that particular ecosystem. Um, so yeah, like we are having an impact uh, and Australia always says that like our impact is, um, I think they're starting to try and reduce and they're going to try and reduce more in the future, but it's, sort of, uh, yeah, I, I still, I'm not the expert on, on, on what we're doing for climate change at the moment in Australia, but um, we definitely need to be acting upon it and um, and all do our bit. And, and that's the same for not even just climate change, but I think the earth is starting to recognise things like single-use plastics and all of that. We are starting to hopefully, I guess, tighten ourselves up and, and, uh, and try and make a bit of an impact. And that's definitely what you and me are, mm -hmm. I think, both focus yeah, absolutely. Is there, Brandon, I mean, it, it's so hard to be hopeful, but I mean, there, there is still hope, right? I mean, I, oh. yeah, I mean, are you, <laughs> I mean, I, this is such a depressing interview, but we have to, we have to touch on the news. I mean, there's no way I couldn't cover it on the podcast. So is there hope? Let's, let's, let's leave the interview with some hope or I don't know. I was going to say, you know, it's so funny, Corbin, is you've seen me, like, the way that I am on my, I guess, on my Instagram and stuff, like, how much of a knockabout and how, like, how much fun I use. Yeah, yeah, and, and, gonna, but by the way, Brandon, tell everyone your Instagram handle, because you're hilarious. I love following you on Instagram. Oh, jeez, well, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's Brandon Troy Gifford, and, uh, and the nickname on there is Giffo, but that's just my last name, but, um. But yeah, I was just going to say that it's like it's so funny the contrast between if you met me in real life and watch like come and met me at the park and things like that, or watch me on Instagram or whatever, and then you listen to this podcast, people will think far out that is one depressed Aussie. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I know, and it was 
<laughs> it was funny, Brandon. Hold on, I have I actually I have I have a funny story because we were supposed to record last week, and you were like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, mate." And I was like, "Oh, that's fine." You know, he's probably doing this and that. I go on your Instagram story, and it looks like you're having the time of your life with your mates, <laughs> like searching for wildlife. Oh my god, it's so funny. I was like, I would way rather be doing that than recording a podcast. So I yeah. Oh. Anyway. Oh, I felt so bad too. I am the worst to get pinned down. I'm trying to exact exactly what I was doing last week, but I definitely know New Year's Eve we caught a death at us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, um, it has been it's been chaotic at this end, at this start of New Year, end of last year, far out. And I'm I tell you, what, I'm like I feel like I'm your number one fan. I love I love your podcast. I love, I love your Instagram. You're just the funniest, happiest bloke. And I, I <laughs> you know. What, you know what you know what's funny i was telling my wife this i think i i think i must have been like i think i would really fit in in australia because a lot of people in the state say i'm like really like too excited you know what i mean like people are like you need to calm down like my wife will even tell me that and i was like babe but you should check out my friend like brandon like him and i feel like we're similar like we get excited over little stuff you know what i mean well, you know what's so funny is Australians have always been selling themselves to Americans, but I feel like if you were to try to sell yourself to Australia, everyone would love you. We all love you. You know, people, everyone talks about you. Like, There's a lot of Aussies in zoos out here that listen to your podcast because oh, when yeah. Dan and I, when we realised, we had people from up in far north Queensland ring us up and go, hey, you're on Corbin's podcast, and they were really excited. So a lot of people listen to you out here. They oh. love it. I, I really appreciate it. And your episode was highly rated and our, our highest audience is in the States, but the second would be in Australia. So, which is really cool. That is very important. I'm glad you passed it on. That, that is, that is awesome. Far out. Dan and I are going to both get really swollen heads, but, um, Oh yeah. As far as hope, like, uh, in Australia, I should just point out that we are actually very optimistic. Like, obviously, there's some serious issues going on. And, like, even regardless of the fires to have the highest mammalian extinction rate in the world, that is something not to be proud of. Like, that is just depressing. So um, mm-hmm. that is why I think Americans would probably, and I guess the rest of the world would wonder, why does Australia produce such passionate Aussies? <laughs> it's because of... <laughs> yeah. It's like there's some serious problems going on and we can see them and you can try and connect as much as you possibly can with people that will just turn around and say they don't care. So, like, we we really want to drive a good message and and try and make a difference here in Australia. And we can. Like, we definitely can. We've seen in the past. We saw, like, when I talked about Naruma with the seals, it actually triggered me to think about we nearly wiped out seals in Australia. Like, we literally used to go out, club them, and sell them for their pelts. But they Mm. made a comeback. Like, everything makes a comeback. And, you know, the thing that gives me hope is when I listen to the Davy docos, (laughs) whenever you watch a David Attenborough doco, that cleanses you. And um, and Davy looks at about how how nature always can make a comeback and it always does like you see how it, it is so quick to replenish and rejuvenate itself we've just got to give it the chance so we've got to give it a chance that's what we're here for we're trying to get people to give it a breather give it some space and also inject a bit of our own uh, efforts into it so that it can come back so i don't ever think um we should ever lose hope or live in doom and gloom. We've definitely got challenges to face and we've got to face them up front and not back down and um, and always be full on with it and passionate. Never lose your passion. Because that's the hardest thing is that when you look at these photos, that just makes you want to lose your passion, doesn't it? You see photos yeah. of a little kangaroo caught up in a barbed wire fence that if that, had, if that fence had been there, he would potentially still be alive. You never know. But... Or if an arson didn't light that fire, it might be like, that's enough to start to make you lose your passion. But um, but I guess you can take that avenue or you can go down the avenue that we're choosing to and, and, and make it drive your passion. And, and like I feel like these fires, far out, they're depressing. They've made the biggest impact you could possibly imagine. They're going to leave a big mark on Australia for a very long time, way after we're gone. Um, but we can still be those people that help to um, get it back on track after they're gone because they will go away. But yeah. Yeah. And I'm happy you, and you, you said that perfectly. Brandon, really quick, um, you said that, I mean, they, they eventually do go away. And I mean, in that, because you, you have bushfires every year. How long does it usually take them to go away? Oh, you know, it's funny. It's like a bushfire is usually something, it's a one-off event and you hear about it for about a week at most. So, uh, like, we might have bushfires going on for two weeks or things like that, but that's about it. Usually it's a week or two weeks or several days. So, 
this bushfire event, it's more so because there are usually you get like you'll hear about it. It'll be the top news story, and it will be the Victorian bushfires, and it will be you'll hear about it for you'll hear about it for a few weeks, but it will, will only have gone for a week, and obviously the effects go on forever. But um, but this fire, the reason that it's so crazy and that people need to know is that there's just so many going for so long over such a big area of Australia. Like it is ridiculous. Like the 12.5 million hectares when you think about. Amazon having about, I think it was 500,000 burns. Like, it's just crazy in the response we saw for that. So it is crazy the land that we've lost. And it's precious land. It's not like it's it's just some random paddock somewhere. And even just for the fact that, light, like, I know we're focused on wildlife, but it, it devastates me to think about how much livestock had to go through it as well. Like, there's so many cattle and sheep and there's so much devastation that has just been caused. Um but, like, the land it's ripping through, people think about koalas first up and because that's so iconic and we love koalas. But there's so many different things that I was reading about, like uh, long-footed potteroos, there's bandicoots, and their job in the ecosystem, the potteroos and the bandicoots, is to disperse spores mm-hmm. uh, from the fungi, also disperse seeds. And so if you get rid of them, then the they're there to rejuvenate forests when these things happen. And usually it's a cooler burn so they can, but mm. now they can't because born so there's none left so we're going to face new challenges and that's why i actually like aussie arc a lot um our conservation facility it is unique in a lot of ways and one of the ways is that we're breeding animals that people usually don't like to breed because you want to breed your species that everyone's in love with and is going to support so you always do conservation koalas and cheetahs and all like all that sort of cool stuff these species people have never heard of when they go to aussie arc they go what the hell is a potteroo and that's a <laughs> at all and it's one of the most it is so important it's far more important as far as uh, and i'd never say i love koalas i'd never say anything against them but it is ecologically far more important to have a potteroo in the ecosystem than it is to have a koala like if you're if you're going to pick which one's going to look after your environment mm-hmm. but i i never like that when we talk to conservation so we say oh you've got to pick which ones are most important to you I don't think we should pick. I think we should try and look after all of them. And just because a koala doesn't have the same ecological role, I think they're just the cutest, most amazing things on the face of the earth. And once you lose something, we always say the most it's the most um, overused expression, extinction is forever. But it's so true. You can't top that. It is. It is. Literally, once it's gone, it's gone. And it devastates me to think we've already lost species in Australia, like the Tassie tiger. Like, imagine that, if that was still around. It's just mm. the most phenomenal born. So, yeah, we don't want to get to that point. And there's a lot of animals that have come very close to it. The Hastings River mouse lost 40% of its habitat, uh, its whole range. Um, the long-footed potteroo is only found in East, East Gippsland, and that all just got burnt in fires um, in New South Wales. And then in southeast Queensland, there's the silver-headed antichinus, and it, um, its whole range just got wiped out as well. So there's a lot of animals that we don't even know if they're still with us. Hmm. And I'm really happy you mentioned it because it is true. Animals like the koalas do get the spotlight and the kangaroos, but there's a lot. Of, I mean, and just we didn't even mention reptiles. I mean, they don't even. Get, I mean, think of all the lizards and the snakes, and it's just yeah, it just it, it breaks your heart. I but... mentioned the reptile. I know. <laughs> I <was thinking laughs> you were. Like, <laughs> But far out, the reptiles have copped it. And you know what's crazy? We are talking about this morning. There's um, the southern corroboree frog in Australia. It's a yellow and black frog. It is beautiful. It's the most spectacular thing. Go on and Google it. It's amazing. And these things have nearly, nearly been wiped out in Australia because of the hmm. chytrid fungus come down from Asia. Oh, and then they've just been – Taronga Zoo has been working for years. Since I was a little kid, I can always remember reading about Taronga's work with them. And they've been re-releasing them to Mount Kosciuszko, and they've just been establishing populations. Now, our friend, um, uh, who I've completely just forgotten his name straight away, uh, but our friend down at Taronga Zoo, Michael McFadden, he actually goes and releases those. That's his whole life's work he's putting into them. They've just had a fire go through and devastate that whole area, so they don't even know if those frogs are there anymore. It's just ridiculous. The mm. stuff we're seeing happen is just phenomenal. And I don't even want to think about how many snakes and lizards and um, turtles and things that have been impacted by this. This is just crazy. It's hard to think about. It's hard to fathom. But a lot of reptiles, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, listen, Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time. I know 
You are so busy. And once again, can you please send me the links so people can donate? Just make it easy. I mean, because I know a lot of people are just so overwhelmed with like, how can I help? And and yeah, just if you could do that. And then also, can you let my listeners know once again where they can follow you um, and just watch your adventures with animals? Because I love watching you. You're great. Oh, thank you so much, Corbin. Well, back at you. Um, yeah, no, far out. I've absolutely loved it. I love coming on here. I'm the worst person to track down, though. Hey, it's a nightmare. But finally, we did it. We got there. Um, <laughs> well, if they follow me on Instagram and make the worst decision of their life, then Brandon Troy Gifford or Giffo. And then, actually, Corbin, now that you've mentioned it, I've been trying to plug something that I forgot to even plug at all. Um, I've started a YouTube channel. We called it like a YouTube channel um, because I always say you. And um, and we started a YouTube channel just to start talking snakes and reptiles and stuff. And I really want to make heaps of videos and have fun with it. So if anyone's bored to tears, then go on and watch that. <laughs> That's Gifo's Wildlife. But you can find that. If you're on my Instagram, you'll find the link to that because it's in my bio. But, yeah, very cool. Very smooth transition there, Corbin. I like it. We get sneaky followers. (laughs) Brandon uh, just thank you so much and I really do want to have you and Zookeeper Dan back on the show when things kind of clear up I mean no pun intended but really so we can you know talk more about wildlife but thank you for being a voice for wildlife I love social media I love you on Instagram I love you're able you know and YouTube now able to educate people and get the word out there I love this podcast is going to reach a lot of people you know you know helping people figure out how they can help out so thank you for your time and I really look forward to speaking with you again oh thanks so much mate and i should plug dan just quickly zookeeper dan go follow him if he had have been on here today which he couldn't be because he's flat stick but next time we've, we've got to get him back on hey how good is he um but he's on another level your female audience will literally go up by like 100 <laughs> 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 you know what's so you know what's so funny? So I just this is separate. Zookeeper Dan's awesome. Yes, go follow Zookeeper Dan. He's a great looking guy. I just had on the um People magazine sexiest veterinarian on the show, Evan Ann. Yes, right. And Brandon, listen to this. So I, we have this split screen of how how we record the interviews. And by the way, folks, Evan Anton, the interview was supposed to come out this week, but it's going to come out next just because we need to cover these fires. But anyway, I was interviewing with Evan, and there's like a picture. It's a split screen. Of of me and Evan and I'm like I was telling my wife like I should not be like I don't even want to release this <laughs> like it's like like he smiles and I'm just like my god like really like like and you know what's funny you just you just like you know and he was the nicest guy too but and you know just like damn but yeah absolutely the girls are gonna love <laughs> so funny that's exactly what i'm like now i've got my first girlfriend and i'm australia's most ordinary rig and i just go no don't look at anyone (laughs) (laughs) okay well i'm happy we're able to leave it on that note but thank you once again brandon i appreciate it man i look forward to talking to you in the future oh mate i can't wait you're a legend oh well thanks for having me guys look after yourselves Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.